have one more layer after the message. Um, Ephesians 6, our Bibles tonight, Ephesians chapter 6. I thought about uh, trying to find a suit of armor, but I couldn't. I thought I tried to find a picture of a soldier, I couldn't. So you're going to have to use your mind's eye tonight. It's helpful to picture. I'm sure you've all seen in your books or on maybe movies, old movies about old days like Roman soldiers. So you have an idea what a soldier looked like. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, and let's just read verses 10 to 13. And I'll pray again, and then we'll look into the passage of Scripture tonight and look at another issue of life that we face. All right, finally, my brethren, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. I'm especially thankful tonight for this passage of scripture, for the warnings it gives us, and for the reminders it gives us, for the encouragement it gives us, and yes, Lord, the confidence it ought to give us, realizing, Lord, that you have provided everything that we need to be a good soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, for the word of God, how it, it, it compares the Christian life to so many things, to a walk, it compares it to a race, it compares it to a building, compares it to agriculture, and here certainly it compares the Christian life to a great, great warfare. So help us, even tonight, to be better prepared for the battle that we face. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, last Sunday evening we were together, we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, about the, the verse that says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not earthly, they're not physical, but mighty through God. And so we talked about that, the weapons. And so tonight, we're going to be reminded that as believers in Christ, we are involved in an all-out spiritual battle, um, really a spiritual war. And uh, we need to realize that. And, and I've often mentioned how it's sad that the people around us, the unbelievers have no idea what's going on, really. They don't know what's coming. They don't know what Christ, that Christ is coming, and, and they need to be ready. But I think that, that even just as unfortunate is the fact that many Christians aren't, do not realize the battle that we're in. Some of the things that we can do or not do that we think are our own ideas and are really uh, lures and temptations of the devil to get us off track, to distract us, and so on. So we're going to take a look tonight at some things in this passage of scripture. By the way, I mentioned that we're in an all-out battle. We need to be all-in, all right? Uh, we need to be all-in, so to speak. We are soldiers in the Lord's army under the command and direction of the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been enlisted. Now, the Bible said we've really kind of been drafted. <laughs> uh, we were saved. We, that was our decision to trust Christ. But when we got saved, we got drafted into the army. 
just the fact that we said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, in that sense, we enlisted. We enlisted in the army, enlisted in battle. I don't know about you, but when I got saved as a child, I had no clue. I had no idea there was a spiritual battle. Um, I, I guess I knew there was a devil. I dressed up like him. One time for Halloween, stood by my mom. She was on the couch taking a nap, and I just kind of tapped her on the shoulder, and she woke up, and here's the devil standing right, in, right over her, and appropriately she screamed. That's what I was hoping for. And I said, man, you got, you got scared. She said, what would you do if the devil, you woke up and the devil was standing next to your bed? Of course the devil, and that was, I was in that red costume. You know, uh, I didn't know any better then. My mom wasn't saved. We didn't realize what we were that we were playing with fire, so to speak. Um, but anyway, um, the, the devil's real, and I didn't know that. Um, in fact, when I, when I was saved, I didn't know much of anything. I didn't know, I didn't know, but there was a Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I, I didn't know very much at all. I knew there was a Bible. Um, but anyway, we learn as we go along. Uh, but many people are really ignorant of the spiritual battle. By the way, the Lord Jesus Christ is not the captain of a losing army. All right, we're not losers. Uh, we're not victims. We are victors through Jesus Christ. We are to be victorious through him. Now, one of the things that the devil tries to do is to, is to blind our minds to the knowledge of what we have um, in Christ. So let's see from the, the word of God tonight uh, what he has for us regarding being prepared for battle. Uh, when you wake up tomorrow, maybe before that, maybe even tonight, you'll be involved in the spiritual battle, but uh, definitely when you, when you and I wake up in the morning, the battle starts. The battle restarts, the battle resumes, and so we need to be prepared. And so I've got three things to look at <clears throat> from this passage. Number one, exhortation. Verses 10 to 13, Paul exhorts the Christian, do this, be this. And then he, he, he explains in verses 14 to 17, the, the, the resources God has given and then in verses 18 to 20, he talks about our communication. So number one, the exhortation. Before we get into the verses, I was concerning the battle. I read this comment in the King James Study Bible notes on Ephesians 6.10. Finally, in verse 10, could be rendered as from now on or henceforth. And actually, it's kind of like uh, Paul is saying, I really saved the most important for last. So in light of everything that he said, and you know, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what we have in Christ. And in chapters 4, 5, and the early part of verse 6 is what we are to be through Christ. And then verses uh, 10 to the end of the chapter is how we need to stand for Christ. And so that's, we're looking at that tonight, standing for him. So uh, finally, verse 10 could be rendered as from now on or henceforth. The spiritual battle Christians are engaged in exists from now on until the Lord's return. There is no quarter given, no ceasefire, no temporary truce, no, ces no cessation of hostilities. From now on until the end, there is an all-out war. And as I said earlier, we need to be all in. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, there is no discharge in that war until we die, or until the Lord comes back. So let's see what the Bible instructs us to be. First of all, in verse 10, we need strength. Notice it says this, Be strong in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power 
of his might. Alright, so we have in this, in this verse, we have the words strong, power, and might. Now notice those are illustrated or those are modified by two phrases, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Three phrases, three prepositional phrases, in the Lord, in the power, and of his might. So first we need to understand that we have no power in and of ourselves. The power is totally outside of us, the power of God. Now, there's some interesting things about these words. Be strong is in the passive voice. That means, the passive voice means that something is being done to us. And the Bible uses that a lot. Paul especially. He goes from the active voice to the passive voice. Active voice is when we do something. Um, Passive means it's being done to me. So be strong is the idea of allow yourselves to be strengthened in and by the Lord. Right? We are to present ourselves to him, ourselves. Power. Here is the word that means power over, strength, dominion, and it's, it's connected to God as creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe. And so our power is in the highest power, the power of his might. Now might is also power, strength, or might, which God has inherently by virtue of who he is. And so there's two different concepts or ideas of the power. Um, The word power there is the power demonstrated by God as the sovereign of the universe, and might is the idea of what is his by nature. We've been looking at the uh, attributes of God on Wednesday nights, and one of those is omnipotence, all power. He has it by nature. He has it by virtue of the fact that he is God. And thank God he's willing to share that power. He's willing to infuse that power. I mean, all kinds of illustrations. Um, you know, the flashlight only works if it's got batteries. So the flashlight is not its own power. It has that power added to it. You know, we plug in something into the outlet. There's got to be power there. And so um, so we understand the concept that we need of power being outside of ourselves. And so then, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on is the idea of to clothe oneself or dress with. You know, can you picture the soldier, the, the, the general, the captain says, all right, men, we have a battle this afternoon. Get your armor on. And can you see them putting on the different pieces of armor? Well, we're going we're to talk about that in just a minute. Um, the whole armor of God, every part of the spiritual armor God has provided. The Bible doesn't say put on one piece of armor, put on a couple, put on most. No, the Bible says put on all. Picture a soldier going out to battle without his helmet. Or the soldier that has his helmet but forget doesn't put on his breastplate. Or the soldier that has his helmet and the breastplate doesn't take his shield. You can get the picture. Or the, the soldier that has all that but then leaves his sword in the barracks. He's incomplete. He's not prepared for the battle. So, the whole armor of God. That ye notice um, that ye may be able. And the word enable means to be, to have the power 
to accomplish an action in accordance with God's unlimited power, right? That she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand against is one word. It means to stand firm, to make a stand, and to stop. Interesting. To stop the wiles of the devil. In other words, to render them ineffective. And, uh, and uh, the wiles of the devil. Um, wiles are schemes, crafty strategies. All right? And it's interesting that in the 4,000 or 5,000 years or so, maybe close to 6,000 now, that the devil has been the devil. Um, he's never changed his strategy. Doesn't have to because it works. Now, he might use different things, things that were around 100 years ago. Um, I think there's more things in the world right now for the devil to use than ever before. Right? Um, the, when, we, when I was a kid, there, wasn't, there was not half the things to draw people away as there are today. We were talking this morning um, in Sunday school. We had a, we had a, we had a great class this morning. The, 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 the class was right with the teacher. I mean, <laughs> literally and, and figuratively. We were talking about um, all the things. We talked about how, you know, it's very hard to get unsaved people to come to church. And I was going to say, we, we talked about a lot of stuff I didn't get to, to say, but, um, you know, 100 years ago, um, you know what people did? They came to church. Sunday night was evangelism night. And they, they would, the pastor, or they'd get somebody else in, and they would preach the gospel because there was no TV, there were no cars, there was no movies, there was nothing to distract people, and so they would come out Sunday night. I can't imagine this. Just imagine this. Uh, pastor Spurgeon in his Metropolitan Tabernacle in London used to, the members of the church used to take turns staying home on Sunday night so there'd be enough room for all the visitors that would come to hear the gospel. And while they just didn't stay home, they would meet in homes and they would pray for the message and pray for souls to be saved. But they rotated that so that every Sunday evening a different block of members, and we're talking about a church of a couple, three or four thousand members, a building that would hold about 6,000 people, and they had, to, they had to ask the members to volunteer to stay home so they would have room for all the visitors, all right? So um, today there's a lot more distraction. But even in those days, uh, most of the evangelism was done outside the church walls. You know, that's how it was intended. You read the book of Acts, you find that the people of God, the meetings, the church services, so to speak, were for the people of God. And they would be trained and encouraged and challenged, and they'd go out and they'd win the people to the Lord. But, but, but anyway, the devil has all kinds of wiles. And by the way, the word devil here is the Greek word diabolos, which means malicious or slanderous one. So whenever you read devil in the Bible, it's always a word that means slanderer. Right? And it was Jesus who said about the devil, he was a liar from the beginning, the father of lies. Murderer from the beginning, liar, father of lies, slanderer. And so that's what the Lord, or that's what the devil does. And back in the Garden of Eden, he slandered God by saying, you shall not surely die 
For the Lord hath known the day throughout, then you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he slandered the precious name of the Lord. And so, and so it is today. Um, uh, one of the things that the devil does, he works in fear, he works in doubt. Again, that takes on all different forms, getting people to doubt the word of God. Now, the realm of our warfare, I'm not going to say much about this, verse 12, for we wrestle not, and uh, the word wrestle there is the idea of um, to struggle against. Um, it's a lot more serious than a couple guys just kind of grappling on the floor, you know, wrestling as they call it, you know, like being on the wrestling team. This is, this is an all-out, uh, intense, life-and-death struggle. Right? Not too many guys die in high school wrestling matches, but it's this, so it's more than that. It's, a, it's an absolute life or death, all involved um, conflict. But notice that uh, Paul says this, we wrestle not, in other words, our fight, our conflict is not against flesh and blood. So it's not primarily a, a physical conflict, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, that is this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so the scripture, he uses these different words. And again, we're not going to go through all these different words tonight. But it's, it's the idea is that we are absolutely surrounded by evil, by evil beings and evil personalities, spiritual, notice, spiritual wickedness. By the way, principalities, powers, rulers, these are all meant in the spiritual sense, right? Now, yes, sometimes the devil uses physical rulers, presidents and kings and all that, but it's not talking about that. It's talking about the power behind every ungodly philosophy and practice and habit and so on. All right, verse number 13. Here's the desired outcome. Wherefore, in other words, in light of this, in light of verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Um, so again, the idea of putting it on, taking it, you know, this is, this is talking about an intentional thing. Right? And we're going to see in just a minute what those things are. All right? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, there it is again, the whole armor, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now that word able is the same as the word able in verse 11. Have the power to accomplish a task, right? Withstand is again means to resist, to oppose in the evil day. The word day there means periods of evil. So whatever the evil of the day is, whatever whatever is going on in this period of time in which we're living, everything that is contrary to all that is good and godly. Having done all, in other words, having accomplished everything to stand, in other words, being fully prepared and understanding our weapons and our armor and how to use them, then we can stand. Again, it's that same word as stand in verse 11, to stand firm, to make a stand, to stop. The idea, in other words, stop the enemy in his tracks. That's the idea there. All right? So that's the exhortation. 
there's a battle. We need to stand. We have to stand. And then number two, there's preparation. The armor of God. All right? Verse 14, stand, therefore, because of what's been said. Right? Take unto you, the, or I'm sorry, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And so the girdle or belt of truth. Um, the soldier, if you look closely at the armor of, a, of, a, of somebody portraying or in a museum or picture or whatever, of the old Roman soldiers, you will find that there was a leather belt around their waist. And that leather belt helped them to hold it all together, you know, physically as well as, as mentally, um, they would have that, they would fasten around their waist and it would hold the breastplate and so on in place. And of course, we'll get to the sword later, but there was also be, be some kind of a sheath for the sword, which is held attached to the belt, right? And so if a soldier didn't have a belt on, he'd have a hard time fighting, maneuvering, keeping his armor under control. And then it says, and your loins girt about with truth, and of course the truth there is the word of God, the knowledge of the truth. Knowing what God's word says, and it'll help us to walk. And they all, again, they, they would also, um, the belt around the waist would control their lower garment, whatever that would be, like a robe or some kind of a, you know, you've seen pictures of the soldiers with like a kilt or something, well, it would keep it in place. Now there were times, the Bible talks about girding up our loins, Sometimes a person, if they had to run, they, would have, they might have a robe that was all the way down to the floor, and they would lift it up, and they would, tie, they would put their belt, stuff it in their belt, or tie their belt around it, so they would be free to run. So, there, so there's several pictures um, or illustrations about that um, being girded about with truth. Then the second part of verse 14 says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Every soldier <coughs> wore a breastplate. A breast, the breastplate was usually a one-piece, made sometimes out of, out of leather, but more often out of metal. And it would slide, it would slip over their head, and their arms would go through the, the armholes. And uh, contrary to what some have said, this, arm, this breastplate did cover the front and the back. All right, I've heard it said, well, it didn't get, the back was open because you weren't supposed to run away. No, it covered the front and the back, all right? And, of course, it was to cover or protect the heart and other vital organs. And it would protect them from, you know, arrows and spears and all that sort of thing. Notice what this breastplate is made of. It says the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, which to begin with is inward purity, right? Sincerity and holiness and outward acts of righteousness, doing that which is pleasing to God, being in conformity to the nature and will of God. This will keep us pure within and without righteousness. The, the righteousness of Christ imputed and the righteousness of practical righteousness um, Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so this is an attitude. This breastplate is a spiritual disposition toward righteousness and holiness. And that will protect our heart. This whole series of messages on Sunday night is taken from that scripture in Proverbs 
uh, keep thy heart, your ear man, with the source of everything, uh, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So whatever we are is, is from the heart, right? Um, and so we're to keep on, we're to have that breastplate, having on continually all the time the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So boots, you know, a soldier has to have a good pair of boots. They need to be comfortable. They need to be the right size. Um, uh, they need to be allowing. And what is a soldier? Think about a soldier with his boots. Um, they need to walk. They need to march. They need to run. They need to stand. They need to maneuver. They have to have good footing. They have to stand. And so, um, what are the what is what are the boots made of? Notice the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation simply means readiness. Preparedness. Be ready always, First Peter 3.15 says. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's a readiness. But re- readiness for what? Preparation of the gospel of peace. Prepared to take the gospel everywhere. Now, and the idea here is that this is our mission and our marching orders. And so, the Apostle Paul is picturing a soldier in the Lord's army going out. But he has a particular mission to advance the cause of Christ. To give the battle, to give the gospel, uh, to tell people how they can be saved and so forth. Um, there is a cause. When President uh, George W. Bush sent our troops to Iraq, and, into, and President Bush before him sent our troops into the Persian Gulf, there was a mission. That mission was to preserve democracy. It was to remove you know, tyranny and you know, all that mil- uh, terrorism, all those kind of things. There's a mission. Um, when our troops in World War II, when they invaded Germany, there was a mission. Obviously, the part of that mission was to defeat Hitler, but it was also to to um, free all those people in the prison camps, and it was to uh, preserve—at least that's what they said—to preserve democracy. Well, we have a mission too. Uh, we're ha- we're on a mission to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is both our mission and our marching orders. Okay. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now in Ephesians, keep your place in chapter 6. Let's go back to chapter 2 for just a moment. Take a look at some verses about this, about the gospel of peace. Ephesians 2, and we'll start in verse 13. We could start in verse 1, but we'll start in verse 13. Now, he is talking primarily here and specifically to Gentile believers. So, but now, verse 13, But in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, sometimes mean previously, before they were saved, they were far off. Talking about the Gentiles, they were far, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now between us there, if you study the context, between us does not mean between people and God. It means between people and people. Between Jew and Gentile. All right, now get on, see what it says. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, in other words, of two, one new man. So making peace. So what Paul's getting at there is that we are, we're no longer Jews or Gentiles, we're Christians. When we're saved, we become a new person. And that he might reconcile both unto God, that is, Jews and Gentiles, in one body, that's the church, by the, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. Them that were far off are the Gentiles, those that were nigh are the Jews. And we could add to that, they were near but so far away. For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Right? Now because of the, the influence of Christ and the blood of Christ, which cleanseth from all sin, because I've had the opportunity to be, to be in different places, I think I've met believers from just about every nationality, African, uh, Asian, Mexican, I mean Hispanic, whatever the case may be. And you know, we're, we're, we're all one in Christ. We all have the same beliefs as, belie as Christians. That is, those who are uh, trained in Bible-believing churches. So that's what, that's what Christ has done. So it's the gospel of peace because it brings peace. It brings peace between man and God, and it brings peace between man and man, uh, those who are saved. All right, go back, please, to chapter 6. We're almost done. Verse 16, above all, Paul says, on top of everything else, taking the shield of faith, whereby, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The wicked there is the wicked one, the devil. Shield of faith. The shield, of course, is to guard against attacks, arrows, spears, and so on. A man who could skillfully wield a shield was a very valuable soldier. And in some armies it was so valuable that sometimes a, a soldier, key soldiers, would have what they called armor bearers. And they would carry the shield. Goliath had a man bearing a shield. And so the shield, very, very important. And I've seen reenactments and things of these of, of soldiers getting behind these huge shields. It might take six or eight guys, and they and they all kind of get in there behind that, and they and they march, they advance with this huge shield that really that really nothing can get through. And so that's the idea that Paul is expressing here: the shield of faith. Faith, a very diverse word. The word faith in the Bible is very complex. It has all kinds of applications. Let me give you a few. It means belief, trust, confidence, loyalty, faithfulness, dependability, and experience. Right? Faith increases by experience, by being tested. 
you know, uh, somebody, some, sometimes people re will refer to a product or a person as battle-tested, all right? Battle-tested. In other words, they've been through whatever. And, um, and so it is by walking by faith, faith in the Lord, faith in the Word, faith in the mission, you know. Um, I, I, every once in a while, um, a team... I guess perhaps it seems to apply to base or, bat or football more than other sports, but uh, a, a team will get a new coach. And I've heard these people at, at, at being at interview, and uh, the coach would say, well, you know, one of the first things I have to do is I have to sell myself and our program to our team. You know, and I, those are the coaches who are successful when the players buy into it. And in the middle of that, you know, the third quarter, when things are going against them and the game is tough, that the faith in the system, the faith in the coach will bring them through. Now, if you were a Packers, if you played for the Green Bay Packers in the 60s, you played for Vince Lombardi. And I have an idea from reading about some of those that they played out of fear more than anything else. Because they knew what Lombardi would do. Can you imagine this little guy, five foot three? And they were terrified of him. But anyway, um, and I know playing volleyball for Duncanic, I was scared to death of Mr. Holdridge. So I think we played out of fear. But when I was a junior in high school, we had a, set, we had a meeting with the coach, Coach Holdridge, before school started one day. And this is before computers and printers and all that. So he had prepared each of us individually. Um, he had given us two or three sheets of paper, which on those sheets he had given to us what he wanted us to accomplish as a team. So there were things that we were supposed to do as a team, and then there were things that he said he wanted us to do as individuals, depending on our ability and where we played on the floor. He said, these are the things I want you to do. And this is what he said at the end. If you do these things, we will be champions this year. And guess what? We were champions that year. State champions and national champions. But we, because we believed in the system, we understood that our coach knew way more than we did. Unlike athletes of today, they think that they know more than the coach. And uh, this is kind of sort. By the way, sports is the only job where the where the employees make more than the employer. And I see there's something wrong there. But anyway, but the point is believing. All right, believe in the coach, believe in the system. Um, one team won the Super Bowl, and they had a camera, or a camera, and a microphone on the sideline. And the coach before the game says, that's why you lift those weights. That's why we run those laps. That's why we have those meetings for today, right? The battle. Well, so it is here. God has a strategy. God has a plan. And we need to buy into it, so to speak. And that's what faith, that's what he's talking about here. Walking by faith. Trust the Lord. We're never alone. He's always with us. We know the outcome. So we have nothing to fear. All right? So we said all that. Why do we need the faith, the shield of faith, wherewith? You shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, fiery darts really literally means flaming arrows. Now, they did that back in those days. Um, some armies and, and some tribes 
Um, they would put, they would, uh, they would uh, dip the arrows in some kind of flammable liquid. Maybe they'd even sometimes tie soaked cloth around the arrows and set them on fire and then shoot, especially if they wanted to bring down a building. Uh, some would, would dip the tips of arrows in poison. And I think that's neat because fiery darts. Back in the book of Numbers, God sent what? Fiery serpent. Doesn't mean they were on fire. But they were very poisonous, and their bite was very painful. That's the idea. The fiery darts of the wicked. Here, the wicked, there's no question in the original. It's talking about the wicked one, the devil, and his darts. Maybe it might be appropriate someday, maybe soon, <laughs> to have a message on the darts. What are the darts? Well, there's the dart, dart of fear. There's the dart of doubt. Um, there's the dart of lust. There's the dart of, of laziness. There's all kinds of darts the devil uses. And by the way, he, he walks around seeking whom he may devour. He, he has his demonic assistants. And they probe the people of God. And they find out our weakness. Because we all have them. And so the shield of faith... When that shield is held up, nothing can get through. The, the, the devil doesn't have a dart that can penetrate the shield that God has given. And then he goes on, in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Probably the last thing that they do is they, is they put the helmet on. Maybe they get their sword after that, but take the helmet. And obviously what the helmet protects the head, protects the brain. And the Bible says, our helmet, um, and it says, for an helmet, the hope of salvation. In the Old Testament it says that. In the New Testament it says that. And so that hope is that confidence in our relationship with God, the salvation, the assurance of salvation, um, enables us to keep our heads in battle. Um, again, sometimes people compare athletics to battlefield. It's really not a very good comparison because, again, there's not somebody out there with grenades and bombs and guns to try to kill you on the football field. But, they're, you know, so keep our heads. And they talk about certain players, quarterbacks, who never get rattled, you know. Well, that's what this helmet of salvation, so we don't get rattled. Um, helps us to think clearly intelligently and calmly the helmet of salvation you know um, there's a pride in serving the model I think the Marines used to say we're looking for a few good men you can't say that anymore because it's not politically correct because you got to have women too but anyway so what do they say now the few the proud the Marines or army be all that you can be right well that's, that's in their heads. They, you know, they drill that. I've never been in the Army, but I've talked to soldiers. They drill that into their heads. I got to be really good friends with a cadet at West Point, and uh, his brother and I went to Bible school together. Anyway, and he told me some of the stuff that they drilled into them so that if, if they got on the battlefield, they would recall what they, what they, what they trained, what they learned, and what they were drilled in about. And so they could think properly. Keep your head. 
um, think clearly, intelligently, calmly. And then it says, <clears throat> and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So picture, as we get to the end of the message, picture with me, the soldier, he gets up in the morning, he gets his orders, there's going to be a battle, and so he, he puts on his armor. He, gets, he puts on his robe or his pants, and then he puts on, you know, he puts the breastplate, slides it over his, his, his head and arms, and he fastens it if there's something to fasten it to. Um, he puts the belt around his waist. He puts the sword in the sheath. He puts the helmet on his head. He takes up the shield, and now he's ready to go because he has one offensive weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's our weapon. That's our battle plan. And so, again, when our army goes out, there's a strategy. We're going to take this hill. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. And, and so, um, again, our battle plan is the Word of God. We're going to follow the Scriptures, and we have a message from our commander. Now, again, it's the sword, and, and this is, again, a very specific sword. It's not one of these four or five foot long swords that generals, you know, have on their side and never get take out of the sheath, but it's talking about, it's a short sword. It's about a foot and a half long, foot and a half to two feet long. And they use this when they're, up, when they're close to the enemy. That's the kind of sword. The Greek word is very specific, short sword, all right, and a dagger kind of thing. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here the word is rima, the rima of God, which consists of specific words for specific situations. Soldiers are trained. Hey, if you get in this situation, here's what you do. Bible. What time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Strategies. Different words for different situations. And, and because we're shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we're especially mindful of the words of the gospel to tell people how they can be saved. Well, then there's communication. You've all seen those army, I always say army, army war, war films, war movies. You know, the bullets are flying, the bombs are coming, and there's this guy, right? This guy behind a rock. And, hey, commander, we need help here, you know. And he's phoning in, you know. And uh, that's, a that's a wonderful example of our communication, which is prayer. Communication with headquarters. Of course, head he heaven is headquarters. We communicate. Through prayer, and I don't know. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, <clears throat> the first Gulf War. Do you remember what the first strategy was? We were going to try to knock out their communication over there in the Persian Gulf. Um, an army that can't communicate with headquarters is at a, is at a real disadvantage. And so, um, thank God, nothing can knock out our communication with our our, our heavenly Father. All right, I want you to notice a couple things here. There is a, a there is instruction about general prayer in verse 18. Praying always, 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 always. Well, you know, um, not just you know, not just the morning, not just before going to bed, but always in the attitude of prayer. Whenever there's something that needs to be prayed about, we pray. Praying always with all prayer. Prayer. The word prayer, simple word. It just simply means talking to God. 
Supplication is a stronger word. Supplication is pleading, begging God in the Spirit. Again, as we're as we're empowered, as we're led, as we're directed by the Holy Spirit, who also prays with us, watching thereunto. Jesus said, "Watch and pray with all perseverance. Never give up." Jesus gave a parable in in Luke 18. It says he spake a parable to them to this end, that men are always to pray and not to faint. All right? Pray. And supplication, again, request for all saints. In other words, all our fellow believers. Obviously, that doesn't mean the saints in heaven. They don't need prayer. Hallelujah. They don't. We do down here. And then specific prayer. Paul says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador of in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul says, pray for all, for everybody and everything, and pray for me as I go out there with the word of God. I would appreciate those prayers as well. And so would every evangelist, missionary, pastor, anybody who's involved in the Lord's work. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. Paul was in prison. He wrote the book of Ephesians from prison that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All right, one more verse, Romans 13, 14, as we bring this to a close. You know, we can look at actual military. There's a lot of military situations in the Bible. And uh, one of my favorites is Jonathan and his armor bearer attacking a garrison of the Philistines. And so many lessons we can get from that. And one lesson is Jonathan says to his armor bearer, uh, you know, there's, there's no there's shortage of God. With God, he can save with many or few. And it's interesting that many, most of the great works of God were started by one or two, just a handful of people. And so we could be part of that. So, but here's what we have to do. In addition to putting on the whole armor of God, Romans 13, 14 is a great verse. It says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the idea of clothing ourselves with all the things that Christ has made provision for us or to us. In other words, all the resources, which would include the armor of God. But notice what else. And make not provision for the flesh. Right? Make not there. The, word, the idea of that is make not, not any, not even one provision. That means providence or care. Or don't make any allowances or accommodations for our sinful nature. None, none, none. We're not to allow anything in our, of our life, not allow anything to be given to the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Again, one of the, one of the devil's most powerful darts is lust and desire. And so we can conquer that by yielding everything to the Lord. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ means intentionally making use of all the resources he has made available to us, which would include the whole armor of God. So may the Lord help us to be a neat little unit, a battalion, a company of soldiers for the Lord. We fight 
before our commander, the captain of our salvation. We fight from victory. And we praise the Lord for that. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this opportunity to be here tonight. This little band of soldiers, God, encourage them and help us to be faithful. Help us to follow our captain. Help us to take the sword of the spirit and, and hack away at the society around us and, and uh, to change hearts and to change lives. We're thankful. Father, for those that were not able to be here today, our hearts go out to them. Those who are sick, please, Lord, heal and strengthen. Uh, those that stayed away because of, of where they live and being in places where they couldn't get out of very easily. Um, and then some tonight are not here because of the darkness and, and not wanting to drive at night. We understand these things, Lord. And, but help us, Lord, who are fit. Help us to who are able. Um, help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Help us to put on that wondrous armor that thou hast provided. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. And we'll turn to a military song. 414. 414. Please stand. We will sing all four of these short verses. Written by a man who certainly was who knew what it what what it meant to be in the battle. Isaac Watts. There's a Sir. I think there was a Sir Isaac Watts in front of that. But anyway, one of the greatest hymn writers who ever lived. And uh, all four verses of "Am I a Soldier of the Cross?"
Father, help us to be good soldiers of the cross of Christ, our Savior, that we might follow where he has led, and Lord, guide us. Please be with these dear ones as they travel home tonight, and clear the way, I pray. Watch over us, give us a, a, a good rest tonight, and preparation for the day tomorrow, that we might serve thee, and be faithful, and be testimonies to those, all those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.